Uber was hacked, iOS 16 has landed, customs officials in the US are storing your phone's data, updates to Firefox Relay, which are actually really cool, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 103, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I am Henry from TechLore, returning from a fun hiatus, so I'm glad to be back. I'm Nathan from The New Oil, and I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. <laughs> You can cut that out. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. So um, for the promo segment this week, Patreon. Patreon's a big place to support us. It's recurring. It gives perks back to you. And it's where we prefer everyone supports us. But if you don't like Patreon, and especially with the privacy and security stuff that's been coming up lately, which we're still looking into, by the way, uh, feel free to support us on Monero as well. Uh, Monero is really like the most private way to do it, but we don't really have a way to give you perks for doing that. Just thank yous. And we see all your transactions. So thank you all who do send us Monero. All right, with that, we're gonna jump right into our highlight story. This just happened. So for the record, by the time you're watching, Watching this, there may be more news that happens a lot with these last minute stories, but we're talking about Uber's latest hack. And I say latest because there was one a few years ago. We'll talk about that in a second. So uh, I believe it was on Thursday, Uber suffered a cyber attack with an alleged 18 year old hacker downloading HackerOne vulnerability reports and sharing screenshots of the company's internal systems, including the company's security software and Windows domain, email dashboard and Slack server. So allegedly this person gained access because they found somebody's credentials through another method, which was not disclosed. They attempted to log in with those credentials and the person, the uh, employee that they were trying to log in with had multi-factor and it just kept spamming them with a little push notification. So the attacker actually got a little genius and messaged that employee on WhatsApp and said, hey, I'm from IT, our system's bugging out or whatever excuse he made up. If you wanna get those MFA requests to stop, go ahead and accept it and the employee did, and that's how the kid got in. Uber claims that no user data was stolen and all systems are now working. Um, they would claim that, and they don't exactly have a great track record for being transparent with data breaches, which again, we'll get to in a second. The article says it's possible that the attacker has already sold off this information about stolen vulnerabilities to other attackers so that they can do more damage in the future. And so that's everything we know at this time. Again, by the time this comes out, there may be more news. This is an evolving story. But uh, Henry is going to go ahead and talk about an update to their previous data breach from 2016. I sure am. So Uber's ex-security chief faces a landmark trial over data breach that hit 57 million of their users. So um, Uber had a data breach back in 2016 that impacted 57 million people, including drivers and customers. They paid the ransom because it was a ransomware attack and tried to sweep this under the rug, but they failed. So the names, email addresses, driver's license numbers, and phone numbers were leaked. Finally, the security chief at the time is being tried. It's not clear exactly what charges they're leveling, but it's directly related to that 2016 data breach and Joe Sullivan's cover-up of that breach. So Uber's really under some hot fire right now. Um, it's probably one of the most data-centric companies out there. I mean, they have to collect so much data for their service, so this is not good news. Well, and they go out of their way, don't they? I remember reading a story a while back about how they, um, they'll track your location for up to five minutes after you finish your ride. Yeah, so. and I think it used to be just sporadically in the background, like way back in the day, because that it, it, it came out that somehow, I don't remember the details of the story, but I think Apple and Uber had some kind of secret permission on iOS established where they could get your location in the background. Oh um, yeah, I do remember hearing something about that. Yeah, but that's been so long, I can't even like cover that story, but it has improved over time, but still. Uh, it's never been great. Not enough, apparently. Yep. Also, <laughs> Lyft isn't much better. We get that question a lot because Uber really makes the headlines for being the most popular. Lyft isn't much better either. Lyft has very similar concerns. As always, we hear anything, we'll keep you updated. And in the meantime, we'll move on to data breaches, where U-Haul has
has disclosed a data breach exposing customer driver licenses. This comes after a customer contract search tool was accessed by an unauthorized attacker. The incident occurred July 12th and affected data in between November 5th, 2021 and April 5th, 2022. The company did not explain how the breach occurred other than to say that the attacker compromised two, quote, unique passwords and that the passwords have since been changed. They did not say how many users were affected or exactly what information was revealed as a result of this search. But as always, they said no credit card information was affected. And if we hear anything, we'll let you know. New York Ambulance Service discloses data breach after a ransomware attack. New York-based Impress EMS. Attackers gained access on May 26th, then the attack occurred July 14th. This includes names, date of service, insurance information, and social security number, only in some cases for around 318,000 customers, though there was a comma that was misplaced in the article, so it's unclear if this was 31,855 or 318,550. So more may be affected. Affected customers are being notified by mail and offering credit monitoring services because when you can't just <laughs> fix the problem, you can always patch it up. Just stick a Band-Aid on it and call it good. Yeah. We, oh we my God. Do a, we, we did make that meme. Like we've made that meme of- The flex uh, tape? The flex tape. Yes! Like, credit monitoring service. <laughs> my brain just went there. All right, sweet. Okay, our next story comes out of Starbucks out of Singapore, where 219,000 Singapore customers have been affected. This includes name, gender, date of birth, mobile number, email address, and residential address. Why Starbucks needs to know my gender and residential address is beyond me. The name and date of birth makes sense because I know you get like a free drink on your birthday. And uh, I guess mobile number, like text your order, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, this only affects customers who use the mobile app to place orders or purchase goods online from one of the Singapore stores. Starbucks is urging people to change their passwords, even though they say that there's no evidence that the passwords were compromised, which, I mean, cool, but changing your passwords is not going to unleak your email address and your name and all that stuff, but I digress. Um, the attacker was also originally selling access to the Starbucks admin panel, but has since retracted that offer. So we don't know if maybe they like changed the password and locked them out or if maybe that they didn't have access to that after all, but still a lot of user data, not cool. Hacker group threatens to sell personal data of public servants, MPs. So this is from Malaysia, a hacker group calling itself Grey Hat, which is not a very original name, has sent a blackmail letter to the Malaysian government claiming it accessed large volumes of personal information of government department civil servants and members of parliament. The group threatened that it would make the data available for sale from September 19th if the government does not respond to them. As far as we know, the data has not been exposed despite the deadline, so it's hard to know if the attacker was bluffing or if other factors have delayed the breach. September 12th. I'm sorry, that was a typo on my end. So it was this past Monday, but still has not published the data as far as we know. So yeah. All right, and our last data breach comes from Cisco. This is an update and it says Cisco confirms, I'm totally gonna screw this up. Yan, Yan Luang ransomware leaked stolen company data. So again, update to a previous story. Cisco originally denied a data breach back in August or... So this ransomware group claims that they uh, have a lot more data than Cisco is owning up to. And Cisco, I guess, didn't outright deny it, but kind of like questioned it. Well, now they've, they've like admitted like, okay, yeah, there was a data breach, but it's still not as bad as they're claiming it is. We already said if they accessed it, here's what they would have gotten. And we stand by that statement. The ransomware group is still claiming they accessed a lot more data, but have not provided any proof. So yeah, um, just real quick stories like this are why we share data breaches, even if they're not confirmed, because it's really common for companies to like downplay it or deny it. And then later on be like, yeah, actually that did happen. And we also share any caveats. If there's, you know, stuff like this where it's not confirmed, there's some d doubt, like, you know, like we did with the TikTok story last week. So 
yeah. And that's it for data breaches. Now let's go into company news. And we're gonna start with Apple, uh, first with iOS 16 and all those updates. Uh, so iOS 16 landed, what? Monday. Last week now? Yeah, Monday. So, uh, and it comes with uh, five new security and privacy features. So uh, there's lockdown mode. We've talked about this in the past extensively. And I'll also cover something else that talks about this more if you want more information. Uh, there's rapid security response, which allows you to pretty much get uh, instant security critical critical security fixes without needing to do a, a full version update. Uh, this is separate from those full updates they normally provide. There's safety checked, so you can see things like where you signed in, who you've shared stuff with, and you can also uh, shut things down. Like if you're in an abusive relationship and you need to make sure that you're not sharing your location with them or anything like that, there's like a, not, this is nothing to do with lockdown mode, but it's kind of like locking down uh, all the stuff that your phone can share with people. There's path, pass keys, which is a, uh, a way to approve logins via another device. And also there's copy and paste permissions. And uh, I know Nate said you didn't see this, but pretty much I, I, I've seen this myself. So like if I copied a link from my browser and I pasted it into a, a message that I'm gonna send to someone, it's like, do you wanna paste from here? And I say, yes, allow. So uh, that is a cool permission to have. And if you want more information about iOS 16, Jonah and I, uh, Jonah from TechLore and myself over on the TechLore end of things uh, just talked about iOS 16 in like a 45 minute session. If people are interested in that, it's like a long form discussion where we cover all these things very in depth. So we'll leave that down in the description too. And uh, the final thing, uh, EFF has released Cover Your Tracks. So this used to be Panapticlick, which is their fingerprinting tool. It's now been rebranded to cover your tracks that happened like last year, I think. But now that will also detect if you use iOS 16's lockdown mode. Now we talked, I think two weeks ago about how John Osbey from Crypty released a tool that pretty much, and that came out on The Verge where essentially uh, you can tell if people are using lockdown mode. And so we suggested people just enable lockdown mode to make this a little bit more anonymous for people who use it. So it's not as fingerprintable, kind of like how Tor would work. Um, Cover Your Tracks is actually using the same exact, uh, like what they're doing is based exactly on what John Osbey and them did. So they're pretty much took their tool and put it into their own uh, Cover Your Tracks tool, which is awesome. So yeah. One more Apple story to end out on. Apple fixes their eighth zero day use to hack iPhones and Macs this year. If you don't want to upgrade to iOS 16 yet, maybe you want to wait a few weeks, let some of the bugs work out. Or if you're on a phone that cannot get iOS 16, like the 6S, for example, is no longer supported, there is at least one final update for those older phones, and that's 15.7. On iPad, this is 15.7. On macOS Monterey, it's 12.6. And on Big Sur, it's 11.7 and it basically gives you that security fix for those zero days. Like I said, even if you don't wanna to upgrade to 16 yet, totally fine, I get it, I waited a few days myself, but you should definitely at least install this one so you at least get those security fixes. And now let's talk about Google. So Chrome for Android has received fingerprint protected incognito tabs. This might be kind of funny to people in the privacy community because pretty much every other browser's done this now for a while that at least claims to have any layer of privacy. Um, but now you finally get fingerprint protection, but only in incognito mode. Um, other browsers like that we talk about, like Brave and Firefox, all have at least some degree of protection baked in by default on really all modes. If you want to see this, uh, go check out privacytests.org. Uh, it's a good way to just 
quickly look this kind of stuff up. Our next story comes out of Colorado, where a utility company locked thousands of customers out of their smart thermostats. So this affected about 22,000 Excel customers who had opted into, quote, AC rewards, which gives Excel permission to take over your thermostat during times of extreme weather in order to reduce strain on the grid. In exchange, customers get a one-time $100 credit on their power bill and then $25 credit every year after that. So we're seeing this a lot, actually. A lot of energy companies nowadays are offering... Uh, rebates or incentives if you get a smart thermostat. On the face of it, that does make sense because smart thermostats, you know, there's the one of their selling points is they're supposed to learn your patterns and your rhythms and automatically adjust so you don't really have to think about it. But the drawback is you're also, when you sign that contract, usually you're giving the power company a lot of permission to access uh, that device. And in times of like a heat wave or like a cold snap, they are allowed to make adjustments to your thermostat. And the problem is, they kind of go a little wild with those adjustments. So in this case, some customers had their thermostats turned as high as 88 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 31.11 Celsius for the rest of the world who's gotten their crap together in terms of measurements. That's really high. I'm okay with sucking it up and sweating a little bit and maybe putting on a lighter shirt sometimes when it's hot out to try and save a little energy. And you know, I have been caught up in power failures because of weather recently. And I don't want to go through that again. So like I, like I said, I'm willing to like change my thermostat and be a little uncomfortable, but I mean, 88's intense, man. That's wild. Um, and it's just, it's really scary. So yeah, know what you're signing up for with this kind of stuff. I would be wary of it personally, but just be careful out there. Read the fine print. This, this is insane. It's wild. I, I, I like adapted over summer here to just my thermostat on 87. Seriously? Yeah. 87 with a fan. I got used to it. <laughs> but also i run like 12 miles in 100 degree weather so i think that the I, heat okay, for me fair. just doesn't really impact me that much oh we had 100 degree weather here too and it was miserable <laughs> it's been hundreds most of the summer here yeah it's been this I last mean, week though has been really nice yeah it's gotten a lot better here microsoft 365 now auto updates apps on locked or idle devices so they say customers will see fewer microsoft 365 update notifications because it'll just do it automatically Update under lock. That's what the new feature is called. Before initiating an Office app update, the new feature will ensure that the app is safe to shut down if it isn't running any tasks in the background like macros and if all changes are saved. After closing the app, the pending update is applied and the app is restored to its previous state, all within roughly four seconds. On paper seems great. If Apple said this, I'd be like, okay, I believe it. Microsoft saying this? Uh... <laughs> But that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, good on Microsoft for at least trying to keep things more secure. Um, those quick updates can make a big difference sometimes, especially in the corporate environment. But this, I guess, theoretically could be um, a way for people to spread malware if this is ever taken advantage of. Uh, just thinking really far down the road, but I think this is overall a good move. And uh, just real quick, just to finish off Microsoft, uh, September 2022, Patch Tuesday fixes zero-day used in attacks, 63 flaws. So this is your monthly reminder, check for updates or ideally just enable automatic updates or both, um, whatever you need to do to get yourself updated. Our last company story comes from the Flow Period Tracker, who has launched anonymous mode to fight abortion privacy concerns. Period tracking app Flow released an anonymous mode on Wednesday, which lets people use the app without linking their data to their name, email address, or IP address. This uses Cloudflare's new oblivious HTTP technology, which I'm pretty sure we mentioned briefly in a previous surveillance report. The article sums it up. Oblivious HTTP separates data content from IP address information by using a relay service to transfer encrypted data between an app and Flow's servers. So essentially the relay will know where the data request is coming from, but not what it contains and flow will see what it contains but not where it's coming from so kind of like a less robust tour kind of situation that's run by cloudflare so 
I know everyone has strong opinions on them. The anonymous mode may not be for everyone. Flow users who choose it will lose certain features. Web users cannot use anonymous mode with the paid version of Flow, which includes video courses and chats with health assistants. Uh, they said the iOS version is unaffected. This is only the web version. They didn't say anything about Android. I don't know if Flow is like iOS only or something. Users also cannot connect a wearable device and they cannot transfer information to a new phone if theirs is broken or stolen. I'm, I'm sure this is not a bulletproof solution, but I guess it's really cool to see companies starting to take health data. But again, we're not getting political, whether you're pro-choice or pro-birth, whatever. It's, it's cool that this is health data and they're starting to say like, yeah, maybe if we're going to collect this data, we should do it in a way that doesn't put people at risk, which I've been saying for years. So at least somebody's doing something. That's pretty neat. And with that, we'll move into research. And we've only got one story this week. Google, Microsoft can get your passwords via enhanced spell check. So enhanced spell check, according to the article, is a different feature from the regular basic spell check. So by default, basic spell check is enabled for everybody. You can opt in to enhanced spell, spell check, which I'm not really sure what additional features it offers, but it's basically a keylogger. It submits all of the text back to Google and Microsoft. I'm assuming that depends on like what software you're using for spell checking. And that means that they could get copies of personal information, social security numbers, passwords, uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, if you're using Google or Microsoft products, just be sure not to enable that and beware. All right, and now let's go into the politics. We're gonna start with a big story. There's gonna be a lot of quoting here, so let's go ahead and get into it. Customs officials have copied Americans' phone data at massive scale. This is another, we have these stories every week, especially in the politics section. Again, we like to cover these because it might be obvious to the privacy community, but these are tangible, real stories that you can share with people you know, and we encourage you to do that. So the US government officials are adding data from as many as 10,000 electronic devices each year to a massive database they've compiled from cell phones. 3,000 CPB officers have access to the database without a warrant and the data is kept for 15 years. So this isn't just check your information real quick. It's we're gonna store this data for 15 years and they need to secure that data for 15 years, which I'll talk about soon. Agents from the FBI and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, another Department of Homeland Security agency have run facial recognition searches on millions of Americans' driver's license, driver's license photos. They have tapped private databases of people's financial and utility records to learn where they live, and they have uh, access location data from license plate reader databases that can be used to track where people drive. Their inspection of people's phones, laptops, tablets, and other electronic devices as they enter the country has long been a controversial practice that the agency has defended as a low impact way, low impact way, to pursue possible security threats and determine an individual's intentions upon entry into the U.S. But the revelation that thousands of agents have access to a searchable database without public oversight is a new development in which privacy advocates and some lawmakers warn could be infringement of Americans' Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable searches and seizures. Oh, so C uh, CBP officials declined to answer questions about how many Americans' phone records are in the database, how many searches have been run, or how long the practice has been going on, saying it has made no additional statistics available due to law enforcement sensitivities and national security implications. Inserting a thought here, I think no matter how you stand on this, whether or not you think that people need to collect all this data, you would think that a public service, they need to answer some basic questions about how many Americans' phone records are in this, not just people who aren't American, but this isn't legal by the Fourth Amendment, and that's what privacy people are complaining about, and that's what I would complain about, and probably most people 
who understand what's going on would complain about. The officials have said that their default configuration for some of the searches has been to download and retain all contact lists, call logs, and messages. And here's a quote. It's not just what you say or do that's of interest to DHS. It's what everybody you know says and does. You may become suspicious just because someone you're only tan tangent tangentially. Ooh. Tangential? I've not heard that word. Tan really? Tangentially. Hmm. Say it again. Say it again. Tangentially. Tangentially. Say that seven times fast. You may become suspicious just because someone you're only tangentially related to says something on your timeline or is in your call log. And then when you have 2,700 people having access to this data, you have very little control over the uses to which they put this information. And then my thought that people aren't really talking about is storing data for 15 years, uh, security, attackers, Everything adapts so quickly, especially in the InfoSec world. And the fact that we have a government agency, which we know notoriously does not keep up with things very well, they have to store and secure this data for 15 years. So I already have concerns with them collecting this data and the lack of oversight, but I also worry about a possible data breach. This seems like a perfect place for just a random hacker to strike and all these people are gonna end up, I know in, in three years, we're gonna cover some story that's gonna relate to this. Okay, our next story comes from DuckDuckGo, Proton, and Mozilla who have thrown their weight behind a bill targeting big tech surveillance. Quoting the article, a group of privacy-focused organizations have signed a letter imploring U.S. Congress leaders to schedule a vote on a bill that would hamper data collection by tech giants and promote user access to online privacy tools. Um, quick note, just because they vote on it doesn't mean they're going to vote for it. In its letter to Congress addressed to the likes of Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, who are notorious for listening to what the people want, the Alliance argued that the continued suppression, this is my personal opinion, FYI, in case anyone couldn't tell, the Alliance argued that the continued suppression of the American Innovation and Choice Online Act allows dominant firms to limit competition and restrict user choice when accessing privacy-focused technologies and products. It also accused tech giants of forcing users into accepting their policies of, quote, perpetual surveillance because their positions as gatekeepers and using their influence in society to steer users away from rival services more committed to privacy. So yeah, really that's it. Just a, a bunch of big companies who have a lot of resources and power behind them have gotten together and said, you know, hey, I'll censor myself. Like, crap or get off the pot, man, do something. I don't know if that's a gross saying, but I heard that growing up. So yeah, just do something, do something with this act. Go ahead and vote on it. Stop kicking it around. Stop wasting time. And over in California, uh, the California governor has signed a sweeping child's online safety bill. This is an update to the story last week. So if you want more information, go back and rewatch 102, surveillance part 102. Um, the bill has been signed into law now. So expect to see challenges from this. Nate said he is now going to use his VPN <laughs> into a different state to avoid having to upload his ID to any services or anything like that. Um, so that, yeah. We're gonna see how this unfolds and how it actually looks in the real world, I guess, after this continues to uh, be in place for a while. Okay, our next story is also a really quick update. A woman whose sexual assault DNA led to her arrest is suing San Francisco. So we also covered this story previously. So I think she recently, if I remember this story correctly, she recently went in um, to submit a sexual assault kit and cops used that data or maybe it was vice versa maybe she did that years ago no i think it was i think she went in recently and cops used that data to match her to a crime that occurred like 20 years ago like apparently 20 years ago she committed some minor property crime if i remember correctly i could be wrong about that part but it, it was it was something that happened a long time ago and they basically took the kit and were like cool we're gonna check this against criminal database and it, there was a match um so yeah that that seemed really screwed up and it seemed like it would really uh discourage people from coming forward to report sexual assaults and things like that which 
is already underreported as it is. So not cool. And she agrees and she's suing the city of San Francisco and we'll see what happens. We'll keep you guys updated if we hear anything about that. The EU wants to toughen cybersecurity rules for smart devices. So they said ransomware attacks take place every 11 seconds and the global annual cost of cybercrime is estimated at 5.5 trillion euros in 2021. In Europe alone, cyber attacks cost between 180 and 290 billion euros each year, according to EU officials. The article did not specify what any of these proposed standards would be, but I think having any kind of uh, bar for people to follow is probably gonna be a good thing because smart devices are notoriously awful. For security. I remember, uh, I think it was somewhere in Asia instituted like minimum standards. And I remember every single one of them was like, yeah, common sense stuff. Like there needs to be a way to update them. And there needs to be a way to report bugs when you find them just like basic, basic level stuff. So yeah, yeah, pretty much yeah. anything would be an improvement at this point. All right. And our last political story, South Korea has fined Google and Meta billions of won for privacy violations. Um, I've watched Squid Game. I know how much this money is. Um, but yeah, so 50 million uh, converted to US dollars, a 50 million US dollar fine for Google and a 20, $22 million fine for Meta. The privacy panel said that the firms did not clearly inform users and obtain their prior consent when collecting and analyzing behavioral information to in further interests or use them for custom advertisements. So basically we're seeing this a lot. Um, you did not give people enough informed uh, well, you did not give people enough information about what you were doing and you did not get actual, real, meaningful consent, um, which I think is not really a hot take. Google and Meta have both, of course, expressed disagreement with this, and um, they both said that they'll be reviewing the decision and possibly fighting it. Uh, they haven't officially said they're going to push back, but, you know, we'll see. We will move into the free and open source section, and we're going to start with some good wild news coming from Mulvad, who has set up their own authoritative DNS server. The audit has been completed by Assured AB. The final report of the audit is available on their website. You can go ahead and peruse that if you're curious. And um, yeah, now that the audit is complete, they have gone ahead and opened this to the public. I'm assuming that uh, if you're a Mulvad VPN user, that this will become the new DNS resolver that you will automatically use unless you choose to use a custom DNS. I don't know. I, I like that Mulvad is really trying to break new ground and always trying to keep their users in mind. I like that, you know, a few months ago they deleted subscriptions so that they wouldn't store use uh, paired payment data. They, I know they've announced in the past, they're already rolling out like quantum computing resistant tunnels, like just really cool. I think they were also one of the first to uh, use WireGuard as well. Um, maybe not, maybe the first, I don't know, but. They were, they were, they were like one of the very few providers that were had WireGuard back in the day. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's just really cool. Good for them for constantly blazing new trails. Another company that's kind of trying to get ahead of the game, which normally I would, I'm, I'm very surprised by this uh, based on just their history and it's uh, Mozilla with Firefox. So Firefox Relay um, has integration in Firefox for phone number forwarding and a new price. So Firefox Relay is previously Mozilla's very limited email aliasing service, which we've never really recommended because you might as well use Simple Login or Anon Addy because it's so much more feature filled. But this is really cool. They're soon getting support for protecting phone numbers. This service will also be integrated into Firefox and the launch pricing ends officially in September, 2022. Calls and SMS are forwarded automatically to the user's phone so that the actual phone number is not revealed anymore. The feature will launch on October 11th, 2022 in the US and Canada. This actually sounds really interesting and I think we're both gonna sign up to see how it works. Uh, phone numbers are still a very hard thing to work around nowadays on the internet. 
And so uh, the, the more options we have, the better. Yeah, that's how I feel. I'm really interested to see how it works and if they're going to be disposable. Like if you can fill, like delete one and sign up for a new one like you can with like MySudo, for example. Yeah, I'm really interested. I'm with you. I didn't really care about Relay itself. I'm just kind of like, eh, other services do it better. And I'm sure other services do this better too, but it's a very limited field and I'm excited to see more competition in that field. Also, we haven't really seen anything like this before. Like, obviously, I, I use MySudo. I've used Hushed in the past. There's tons of other VOIP services. The closest thing to this is Google Voice, but Google Voice is more like a single number that you can port to your regular phone number. You're talking Nothing's... about how it forwards to your phone? Exactly. It's a yeah, forward. Yeah, Google it's... Voice is like the only one that does that. Yeah, it's a forward. It's not just a, I'm going to generate 10 new phone numbers and receive texts in my Firefox browser. Like, no, this is... This is pretty nifty. On the topic of nifty things, Bitwarden is allowing you to generate email addresses with fast mail. So we've already seen something similar to this. Uh, they already do this with Simple Login, Anon Addy, and the aforementioned Firefox Relay. They have now expanded to add Fastmail, who um, I believe is not an encrypted email provider, but they are privacy focused. They promise not to sell your data and all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah, that's really cool. And if you're a Fastmail user, and or a Bitwarden user, be sure to check that out because that's really neat. Our next story uh, will be more into by many. There's a popular plugin called I Don't Care About Cookies. Um, I've never used it myself, but if I understand it correctly, it basically fills out those little cookie pop-ups for you so that you don't see them, but it like clicks them in the background and makes them go away. I think it clicks reject all. I don't really know what it does to be totally honest because again, I've never used it, but I know it's really popular. I've seen a lot of people recommend it. The project has been acquired by Avast. Personal hot take here. Um, I'm actually glad because now a bunch of people are going to stop using this plugin, which no offense to the developer. I, I don't have any beef with him. I don't have any beef with the plugin itself. I'm sure it's fine. But uBlock Origin has this exact same capability. I forget exactly what filter it is, but there is a filter you can go add and enable. It's not on by default, but you can go enable it. It's in the list, so you don't have to do any fancy adding special filters. You go enable it. I have not seen a cookie banner pop up on like 80% of websites in so long. And so I think in that sense, I feel like this is just another redundant plugin. And the more plugins you have, the, the more fingerprintable you are. So I think that a lot of privacy-focused users who are not fans of Avast are now going to ditch using this plugin, which will make them less fingerprintable. Again, if you want to ditch this plugin, if you want to keep using it, that's on you, go ahead. But if you want to get rid of this plugin, just know that uBlock Origin has a very similar functionality in one of their, their lists. So in my personal opinion, I think that's a win. Again, like nothing against the developer or anything like that. I'm not trying to like say he's a bad person or it's a bad plugin. But I think from a user privacy perspective, I think this is going to be a win. Fedora Linux 37 has reached beta. So we're putting it on everyone's radar. For release should be coming soon. This features GNOME 43, Raspberry Pi 4 support, and some other minor but important updates. Unrelated, but I just wanted to be known. I'm really mad that it's pronounced GNOME. I agree. And our last FOSS story, um, this kind of went over my head, but I feel like a lot of our listeners are very technical minded and would probably appreciate this. Ubuntu 22.10 is aiming to support the Cypede, I'm totally going to screw this up, Cypede Litchi RV Risk V board. Quoting uh, the article, in addition to Ubuntu supporting the Star 5 Vision 5 and the Neza Risk V boards, Canonical engineers are also working on supporting the one that I just said at the top for the next month's release. And this is particularly notable because they say it is one of the cheapest RISC-V boards out there with a pricing starting at $16.90 US. That's really cool that they're just trying to make it work 
with some more affordable options. The rest of the article basically outlines the board's specs and how it compares to some other boards. So again, this all went super over my head. I know like processor, RAM, memory, and I'm starting to learn about graphics cards. So uh, not my forte, but if you're a little more techie and you want some of the finer weeds, be sure to check that out. With that, we will move into the Misfits section, and we're gonna start off with, this is an insane video in my opinion, and I think everyone should take a few minutes to go watch this. Um, if you're, like whatever you're doing, just pause. Uh, if you're driving as soon as you get where you're going, like stop, go to the show notes, look at this video. If you hate TikTok, use proxy talk to like avoid it. This guy is Kurt Skelton, and he is a TikTok influencer with 338,000 followers, but he doesn't exist. Uh, the girl made him, the, the girl who's behind this, she made him using AI and deepfake technology. And in this video, she walks through every single program that she used, all the data points that she fed it, her like logic behind doing different things. And it's just mind blowing because she's been like faking this person for years, I think. Um, actually, I'll be honest, I didn't look at how far back it goes, but if 338 followers has to have been at least like six months or so. And it, it really raises a lot of concerns about like deep fake technology and disinformation as we move into the future and just kind of shows you like, this is just some random girl on the internet. As far as I know, I, I don't, I don't know anything about this girl, but it, as far as I know, she's not like a professional graphic designer or anything like that, or, or like visual effects artist. So, I mean, this stuff is like readily available and it's, it's really concerning, but Again, I cannot stress it enough. You guys should go watch this video. It's incredible and creepy and scary. Okay, and then our second story is also creepy. Uh, well, more frustrating, I think. So the NRA slams credit card company code to track purchases at US gun shops, claiming it's creating a national registry of gun owners. Um, I... Go I'll ahead. just, let me, no, no, let me read the article <laughs> first. <laughs> Okay, so let me, let me start with the article. Uh, basically, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express are creating a new business classification code to indicate gun shops. So for those of you who don't know, when you buy something with a card, the, there are certain codes that classify the type of business. So if you go to Subway, uh, that's one code. And then if you go to Walmart, that's a different code. But if you go, for example, if you go to Subway and you go to Wendy's, those might be, I don't know, I haven't looked up, but they might be the same code because they're both fast food, for example. Well, these, uh, again, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express have all gotten together and said, we're going to create a whole new classification code just for gun shops. Whether you are pro-gun or not, your heart is arguably in the right place, but there's a lot of flaws here. So, for example, the article says this would not apply for firearms purchased at other types of stores, like Walmart, for example. In some parts of the country, in some states, Walmarts can sell firearms. So I can go to Walmart and buy a gun and it doesn't get tracked under that code. And and it, it also goes the other way around. Like if for anyone who's never been in a gun shop, a lot of the time they have like other things like knives and like hunting clothes and stuff like that. So I can go into a gun shop and buy a knife and now that's going to be flagged under that code. I don't know about the whole creating a gun registry thing. That's, I'm not going to get into that. But like at very least, I think we can all agree like this has some glaring loopholes in it and it's also not necessarily fair to the person who just wanders into the gun store and buys a camouflage jacket because they like camouflage. I don't know, it's just, it's really weird. Um, well, it seems well, very not well thought out. Well, is there any negative implication? I mean, like this isn't inherently privacy invasive. It's just a classification for the business you shopped at. Is there something I'm not seeing there? I think, uh, how can I say this without being political? Cause like no one's complaining that like where okay. they eat and if they go to like, a doctor's office and use their credit. They don't care about like all of those data points. So where, why is this different than that? 
Like I'm, I'm, I'm asking. No, no, no. Um, I think that's a good question. And I, I think it comes down to, we always talk about potential abuses in the future. Like I'm a firm believer that, um, and maybe this is a conspiracy theory. I hope I'm wrong, but I think in the future, our purchase data is going to be used to, per, uh, to determine things like health insurance. Like if you're going to the grocery store and you're constantly buying like beer and cookies, hi, um, I think eventually that data is going to be shared with, uh, health insurance providers and they're going to jack up your premiums because they know you're not eating healthy. And I think this is the same thing. If there ever were some kind of crackdown on firearms in the U.S., I think things like this make it easier to crack down on those people. Or even um, even just like political data, like who generally shops at gun stores? Right-leaning people and people who vote more on the conservative side of the spectrum. So if there's ever a data breach, they could use that to like target people of a certain political persuasion. So This story makes me just mad, though, because all, all the purchase data is – like this is this is relevant to any issue, not just guns. So this is like Fair. a response to it oh, really this is now, right. This now impacts me, so now I want to talk about it and talk about the privacy implications. Um, that's kind You're of hundred percent right this because the NRA doesn't ever talk about privacy, but now that it affects possible like collect, collection of gun information, now it's relevant. So I think what what I'm getting at here is for me what this story speaks to is that people only give a damn about privacy when it impacts them and their cause. And we're trying to get people away from that. And that's why I get frustrated by comments when we say things that are generally for the pro-privacy, regardless of political preference. And people are like, yeah. I can't believe you defended XYZ when they said XYZ three years ago. And it's like, we don't care. Like, <laughs> we do say when we are getting political and inserting a personal thought. But this is, like, literally what we don't want to do, I think, back here is, like, oh, now our political preference is being impacted in a privacy invasive way. So I want to speak up mm -hmm. about privacy because it's going to impact me. So, And that's for the record. That's why I mentioned like regardless of whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun, I think we can all agree this is riddled with loopholes and, and problems. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it Unfortunately, like I had one person call me. Um, you can cut this if you want or keep it in. I had one person call me one time because they were like, hey, my accountant messed up the address and now my tax information is getting delivered like three houses down and I don't know my neighbor. I don't trust my neighbor. What should I do? And I'm just like, I've been talking, I've been trying to get you to use a password manager for like three years. And now all of a sudden you care. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I see it all the time in my personal life. People that like previously didn't care about privacy. As soon as something happens, they're just like, oh God, now I care. And on the one hand, it's like, yay, now you care. But also like, damn dude, where were you three years ago when I was trying to tell you? Yep. People just I, don't, I, I mean, and this applies to every. This applies to when the opposite political party mm -hmm. takes presidency, and now you're like, "Oh, they're gonna take over the country, and they're gonna invade our homes. I need to protect everything." And it's like, why? Why, why didn't why you feel you that waiting? way before? Why exactly? Like this is all about prepping. And same thing when oh, abortion, the Roe v. Wade stuff happens. Now everyone's like, "Oh crap." gun stuff oh crap like we have too many oh crap moments people just need to be more proactive and i know i'm i'm, I'm just probably uh preaching reflecting most people's yeah. uh views on this who listen to this podcast but it's yeah. just frustrating and i'm just venting so all right not much left let's go through these tax fraud ringleader jailed for selling children's stolen identities so the owner of a fraudulent tax preparation business was sentenced to 12 years in prison for selling the stolen identities of thousands of children on welfare and helping customers to falsely claim tax credits, causing tens of millions of dollars in tax loss. Um, this is to remind people that identity theft of minors is a thing. 
So make sure to free, freeze your kids' credits as well. You can do that. And freezing your credit here in the US is free now. You can do that with all three credit bureaus. And that's something that I tell pretty much everyone I meet who asks me, oh, what do I do about privacy? I tell them, freeze your credit, switch from Chrome to Brave, download Signal. <laughs> and Bitwarden. I hope people like my uh, new poster in the background. They probably won't. Everyone's gonna leave comments. Oh, I hate your new poster, Nate. Yeah, What's well, wrong? I like Edgar Allan Poe more than you. What's so. wrong with your eyes, Nate? <laughs> what is wrong with my eyes? <laughs> I don't know. People just leave comments about everything. I do have new glasses, so I mean. Oh, oh we're going to hear about that. Yeah, I'd love everyone who critiques what we look like. I'd love to I see know, photos of man. them on the internet. Like, that would be fun. Like, tear people into shreds. <laughs> okay, our next story. This is actually really genius. It says, hackers now use sock puppets for more realistic phishing attacks. So this attack is actually kind of genius. Basically, and it's a lot of work too. So I'm assuming they're probably not doing this to everyone. They're probably doing this to like higher value targets because this takes a lot of work. Hackers will create multiple email accounts and then they will take several days to create realistic correspondence between those accounts. So like Bob will email Alice and say like, hey, do you have those reports? And then like the next day, Alice will email Bob and be like, yeah, here's a copy. And then they'll like, they'll just go back and forth a few times to create, and the attacker controls both of those accounts, by the way, to just create this realistic correspondence. And then eventually they will like include the target in that correspondence. And the whole thing just looks more legitimate because there's this whole back and forth that's already been happening for days. It, it really is genius. Like you guys should scroll through the article and uh, check it out. In a lot of cases, the attempted phishing attack doesn't even happen with the initial email. So it's not even like they're sending you the initial email like, hey, here's those reports, click this link to download them. It's more just like, hey, do you have 10 minutes? I, I wanna talk to you about this thing. And then they'll go back and forth a little bit before being like, hey, here's this link with whatever pretext, You know, go ahead and click this. It, it really is genius, but again, it's a lot of work. So I, I think, I would assume they're probably only using this for like higher value targets, but I mean, it is really genius. You guys should definitely uh, peruse the article and see some examples. It's pretty wild. We're gonna end on a super, super duper short one. A new Lenovo BIOS update has fixed security bugs in hundreds of their models. This is a reminder to update everything, including firmware and other lesser thought things. That is it. And there was also no Q&A this week. So if you haven't joined Patreon yet, you should go ahead and join Patreon because that's where you can ask questions for our Q&A. If you want to ask us anything, personal stuff, we don't, we won't answer all personal questions, but we'll at least see them. Um, anything about say, If you ask for personal stuff, people are going to ask for your nudes. They will. Um, that, that <laughs> I've is seen asked, the comments. I that know. is asked a lot. <laughs> but um, for I your have, OnlyFans link, you know, you know what? I don't have an OnlyFans, but I have a PixelFed account. Hen.omg.lol. Go visit my website. It's PixelFed. <laughs> I, I I post things there. Nothing crazy. But yeah, um, join our Patreon if you want to ask us questions. Um, it can be about stories. It can be about just general privacy and security questions. We like to answer those questions, and people seem to enjoy our answers to them. And also, now to go into the outro, that is it for the week. Again, Uber was hacked, iOS 16 has landed, customs officials in the US are storing your phone's data, updates to Firefox Relay, and more. Again, a lot of these stories are always unfolding, so make sure you're subscribed so we can keep giving you updates. And also, if, again, just gonna remind you, Patreon, if you haven't done joined that already. And also, if you don't like Patreon, we have Monero as well. You can just send us some one-time tips. We see all your tips and we love all of you for it. 
Thank you for listening to the Surveillance Support. The final thing we want to ask is for you to share the podcast around. That's a great way to spread all these stories and uh, bring some people in your life up to date on some privacy and security stuff and hopefully one day convert them over uh, to the good side of things. Uh, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and we want privacy to reach as many people as possible. You can help us do that. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.